Um, today, I'm going to be preaching in the passage that was just read by Brian. And uh, in doing so, uh, I am going to unapologetically um, put some pressure on a few men in our church um, today during the sermon. I am going to, um, as in context here, uh, Paul is uh, teaching, he is encouraging a pastor. And uh, today uh, will mark a, a series coming up in which the next few weeks our other pastors are going to uh, be carrying the load of preaching here. And in doing so, in preparation for that and just in looking at this week, um, I am going to um, be preaching to our pastors today. And you ask, well, why, why should I be here then? Uh, why should I listen? Well, a few things is, it's the Word of God, and it is the breathed out Word of God, and it is good for correction, reproof, illustration, example, rebuke, all of those things of which that we have been learning about um, over the course of really this entire year as we've been working through First and Second uh, Timothy. Also, if you're a male in this room, then you should be aspiring um, to live a life of character in such a way uh, that you would be a qualified man, that God could possibly call you uh, to be a pastor, to be an elder, and that you should be living your life in such a way um, that He could easily place upon you uh, that calling because you meet the biblical requirements for it. It should be the aspiration for every man that is in this room as well. Plus, here's what I'm also praying for every one of your sons to become a pastor and for every one of your daughters to marry one. So I would listen um, today. There's lots of reasons why you should listen today, um, but those are truly not uh, just hypothetical prayers. Um, but every one of your every one of your male children and every one of your daughters, I am praying that they would find themselves in full-time ministry and in, 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 in married to full-time pastors, but both of them being in full-time ministry. And then lastly, with that, there are truths here that should be found in every one of us, whether you have the role of pastor or not, because all of us are the priesthood of believers, and every one of us should be finding ourselves in a specific ministry. We are all ministers. That is not just someone who you pay, who works at a church, that isn't qualified to be a pastor. And you call him a minister. That's what we like to do in the church of knees. All right? But every one of you, if you are a follower of Jesus, guess what you are? You are a disciple. Guess what else you are? You are a minister. And so beyond the shadow of a doubt, I should be able to come to you and say, what is your ministry? And in turn, you should be able to tell me very quickly what that is. And so if you're engaging in obedience to God in the ministry of the gospel, then there are some things that we need to be reminded of, some commands that we need to be reminded of this morning um, that both you will experience and endure as being faithful to Jesus. That's the calling of the Word of God. It's the calling of this passage. 
So, with that, I'm hoping that we can all glean something, even though I'm specifically, as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to primarily be speaking um, to our other pastors and to myself included in that number. So if you have your Bibles in, in the gospel or in 2 Timothy, which it is a gospel in the grand scheme of things as well, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we, we have quickly learned over the last several weeks that there is a war that is taking place in the life of the church. That there, as I left you last week, that there is a war against the preaching of the word, brothers and sisters. That there is a war against us, that we have lost its seriousness. The seriousness of the preaching of God's word, that, that we have maybe lost its charge. But, but in that, in the, the difficult times of which Timothy lived in, but also in the difficult times that, that we live in, brothers, uh, that, that specifically speaking to that, that there is a time where people will, will merely be about the itching of their ears, the tickling of their ears, that they will find for themselves teachers that will only enhance their, enhance their depraved minds and beliefs. That they will drift away, that they will be on the downgrade from the centrality of Jesus and the scripture and the Bible. And yet, where does that leave the preacher? People in the church, whether from the pulpit to the pew, will find themselves wandering off. We are prone to wander, the great hymn says. And within our church, brothers, we are going to find people that are going to wander. And our, our temptation as well will be to wander from the centrality of Jesus, to wander from the centrality of the gospel forever being upon our lips and our hearts as we will often find ourselves in this role and in this position, a very lonely place, an often discouraging place. Where people who were once faithful to God and people who were once faithful to the scripture and once faithful to the church, that they will wander off, that they will find for themselves these things. They will turn away from the listening to the truth and wander into myths. And any faithful pastor with any salt about him will, will be deeply burdened and weighed in down by the, the agony of lostness in people's lives, but even lostness in our own hearts. So Paul is contrasting the way of the false teacher, the, the way of, 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 of the person who is not truly converted, or the false convert, or the nominal Christian, that, that, that Paul is, is illustrating this to young Timothy, that he's saying these are the ways in which these people will go. And yet, brothers, pastors, co-laborers, beloved brothers in Christ, pastor, teacher, that, that you must go in a very different direction. That you must stay firm in Christ when all of the current, even the Christian current, mind you, is going in an opposite direction. That, that brother pastor, that you stand firm in the word of God. That you stand firm in the personhood of Jesus, the chief shepherd. 
and the good, good pastor. Paul has been telling Timothy about the seriousness of the gospel when he said last week that you will stand before God and give an account. He, he goes on to tell us what is the, the charge, that that charge is to preach the word, that we're to be ready in season and out of season, that, that inside of the word as we are preaching that word, that, that, that we're to reprove and to rebuke and to exhort concludes with that seriousness move away, that serious move in people's lives and hearts away from the gospel. And yet he picks up even more commands and imperatives for those of us who are in pastoral ministry. He tells us here in this passage, as for you, so people are wandering away, they're drifting, but Timothy, as for you, Timothy, as for you, pastor, as for you, future elder, as, as for you, minister of the gospel, always be sober-minded. Sober-minded. Now, I know none of you have ever been drunk. And that's a lie. But have you ever been around a drunk person? Have you ever been around somebody that's a little intoxicated? Have you ever been around someone who is high? One of the greatest things about Twitter is that locally we have a guy named uh, Joe. And Joe likes to sit and listen to the scanner. And it's the reason why I have a Twitter account. Because I like to laugh about stuff that's going on in Bowling Green. I never knew so many half-naked people ran down the streets of Bowling Green, Kentucky... Until I started following good old Joe on the Twitter account, who puts out, to his words, I just tweet what I hear, how it's said. And it is a fantastic account, and scary account about the amount of people that are higher than a kite, living as our next door neighbors, running half naked through the streets of Bowling Green, yelling, screaming, throwing their heads, and their clothes, not their heads, but their clothes around their head, doing absolutely insane things. I've been around a few drunk people in my life. I've been around a few high people in my life. And it, what's interesting about that is, is that if you've ever tried to have a conversation with one of the, these friends, one of these neighbors, that it, it, it's very difficult to do so. Think about the stereotypical drunk. I grew up watching the Andy Griffith Show. Many of you don't even know what that is, but it's a great show of community and lying and good morals, because Andy, as much as we loved him, was a liar. He lied like every episode, but the classic town drunk Oscar inside of that, that show, just that portrayal of, of trying to communicate to someone who is intoxicated in the inability. Why? Because of the chemicals that are placed inside of them, some outside substance that has been placed inside of them, whatever it may be, is, is totally messing with their thinking. It is causing confusion. It is causing them to have slurred speech. It is causing their thinking and their mindset not to be able to develop into systematic thoughts. It's, it's hard to carry on a conversation with them. They, they totally lose their mind. 
Now, we learn from the qualifications of what it means to be a pastor, brother, that, that you and I are not, not to be drunkards, that we are not to be addicts. And so Paul isn't just saying um, that we should not ha- be, be drunkards, but, but yet in this statement specifically, um, Paul is alerting us to the reality that even within our spiritual lives, that there are those who have become spiritually drunk on false teaching. That they, again, they've wandered, that they have stumbled in their drunkenness, in their addiction to falsehoods, in their addiction to lies, in so much that it consumes who they are. It consumes their mind frame. It consumes their thinking. And in contrast to those men and women within our congregations and within the pastorate, we brothers, we are to be sober-minded. What does that mean? We're to keep a clear head. We're to be serious. We're to be alert. We're to be have and have a, a watchful attitude. See, ministry in, in difficult times um, is really hard. And we've got to keep our wits about us. We must not, brothers, become discouraged at the actions of those within the church. We must remain calm, faithful, and clear-headed. I don't know if you've ever been around someone who speaks out of what we call in the South. I guess this is a Southern thing. That person speaks out of both sides of their mouth. They have a hard time. They have a hard time with reality yet are are clever and good at creating false narratives that they honestly believe. And yet, brothers, pastors, future pastors, we are, are, are not to be that way. As much as these people are trying to groom us this way, or they're, they're trying to, to bring us into their mindset of thinking, we must stand firm, be sober-minded, be alert, be like watchmen waiting for the morning. We wait upon the Lord. We trust in the Lord. This is really difficult due to the difficulties of pastoral ministry. People are going to try in the church to, to get the pastor and ministry leaders involved in consuming conflicts that are mere distractions from their true calling and the nature of it. See, Paul is reminding us, pastors, he, he is reminding us that, that we need to have self-control, not, not only of the body, but of the mind. Pastors make up a majority of my closest friends, and confessionally, church, I will share with you that many of us, the the biggest problem is an internal war that is taking place within our own heads. We often don't know what to do. We can often be led and be tempted in ways that are not Christ-centered. 
And yet Romans chapter 12 verse 2 tells us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The, the weightiness of preaching, much like Jesus in the olive garden, as he is being crushed and he is being depressed and, and just, just deeply burdened by the weight on which he is about to carry. Though none of us pastors fully carry the weight of the sin of the world upon their shoulders, in some degree we as the pastors are carrying the weight of many many people whoever is in our flock that we are carrying that and often it can be a crushing thing that often it feels like our brains and our hearts are being splattered and spilt out so this struggle is taking place See, brothers, many people in the church are irrational. Conflict follows them wherever they go. It's as though they are mentally or spiritually drunk on their own passions and desires. See, the enemy has a tendency to cloud their thinking, and therefore it can cloud our thinking. And yet... In contrast, we as the pastors, we as the shepherds, need to have mental sobriety. It's tough for a man not to lose his sanity in pastoral ministry. And that's what Paul is trying to illustrate to this young Timothy. Don't lose your sanity, brother. Be alert, be awake. Be mindful, be watchful. No matter how much pain comes, no matter how much persecution, no matter how much rejection or humiliation or slander, do not waver, do not compromise. Be sober-minded. Next, Paul is going to say to this young Timothy, he's going to encourage this pastor that, that he needs to endure suffering. Enduring the suffering. What is this idea of enduring suffering within the pastoral call? It's meant to suffer physical pain. That not only do the people whom we serve have physical pain, but, but many of us also, if we haven't, we will endure our own physical pain. I know you guys don't think this, but did you know the pastors go to the doctor too? We twist our ankle, all right? We're getting old, getting older, right? This came to a, an abrupt realization this week for me. On a Friday, Laura and I, we took our kids to school, and we do a date day on Friday while our kids are at school. It's a great blessing to have your kids in school. And, and we go to this yard sale. And so we're at this yard sale, and we're, we're hanging out in this yard sale, and we're looking at everybody else's junk, right? Because that's what you do at a yard sale, that you're going to one day sell in a yard sale, or your kids will. And so we're standing there, and, and all of a sudden, this talker, this guy who's ho holding this yard sale, um, Laura starts to walk and goes back off to the car, and this gentleman looks at me and says, man, that's awesome. I used to yard sale with my daughter, too. And he goes, I went, 
as, as you guys know, what I'm thinking is all right here. And I was like, and he goes, that's your daughter, right? And I was like, nah. I was like, that's my wife. And he was like, I mean, he literally, and goes, man, you've had a hard life, haven't you? And I said, if only you knew. So what, pastors get old, all right? Just like you, we go to bed perfectly fine and wake up with a sprained ankle. Like, just like you, we get tired. We have things that, that, that not only are we carrying the weight, brothers and sisters, not only are we faithful pastors carrying the weight of the weightiness of standing before an almighty God, but faithful pastors are also simultaneously, we're carrying the weight of all of your pain while simultaneously carrying our own. And yet Paul reminds this struggling brother He says, endure the suffering, the physical pain, the hardships, the troubles, the problems, the difficulties, the evils, the distress. The the word sometimes also references humiliation and the willing to suffer whatever consequences may arise from preaching the gospel to people who do not want to hear it. When, When people disagreed with his teaching... And did not hear the word. Do we keep going? Do we, do we keep preaching? I've got a lot of friends who are policemen and firemen. And they will often share with me as I've had kind of conversations with them off the grid. And, and many of my policemen and firemen friends tell me that they are really struggling in their faith. And the reason why they say that they're struggling in their faith is, is due to the witnessing of all of the horrific decisions and pain and problems that are happening in people's lives whom they serve. I recently stood out in my front lawn with one of these friends and he was really struggling having a crisis of faith. And he said, now my wife, she's a real good Christian. She's way more Christian than I am. I've just seen too much stuff. See, it's hard in the ministry not to become callous to the suffering, not only in our own lives, but the, but the suffering of others. And so the, the temptation here is in the midst of the suffering is to become bitter and to, to, to want to respond with anger and violence and, and to quit. As we've said in this series, man, is, is ministry worth it? I'm not saying if Jesus isn't worth it. Right? If anything, I've become more compassionate toward people who say this statement, though I have a problem with it. I can have compassion on it. This idea of, man, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. His ministry is tough. And that feeling often carrying everyone else's problems can often lead to the desire to 
to want to quit. See, the Greek here word, the Greek word here is, is commonly used in hardships that are, that are due to military service. See, brothers, sisters, the Christian life is war. The Christian life is, 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 is war, and pastors should be found on the front lines of battle. And, and, and brother, brother uh, you know, Todd and, and Brother Justin, I want to I say this in front of our congregation. Um, they, they do not see what you do. And they will never see all that you do. But God does. He knows your faithfulness. He knows what you have endured. He knows your hardships. He knows the the slander and the gossip and the humiliation. All those things, whether it's at your, your vocational job or your pastoral ministry, that God knows all of those things. And His thoughts about you are, are way grander than any members. And I'm thankful that as we have said for the last seven and a half years, that I'm thankful to be in this foxhole with you as I get to witness and watch what you do. See, we have in our culture, and I think this has been right, that when we start talking about military uh, friends and family, that we as a culture have been been learning what it means to wrap our arms and, 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 and hearts around around struggling soldiers with, with PTSD. And while we're making great strides in the nation to help these soldiers, um, many of our pastors are all walking around, no matter what church you go to, if they're being faithful, many of them are also walking around with PTSD. And yet they're not often allowed to have these wounds. Or speak honestly about their problems. Or find the help they need to help to endure the suffering. And yet Paul tells Timothy, and as I tell you, may we share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. We are told, brothers, to be sober-minded. We are told to endure this suffering. The, The next thing that we're told here in this passage is to do the work of an evangelist. Now, I don't believe here that this is in reference to the office that we see inside of the scripture, the, the role, the giftedness of the evangelist, that this, this guy is the evangelist. That's a role. This is more used in a general sense as an identity and a practice that should be found in our pastors. And, and what he's saying here is that our pastors, pastors, faithful pastors, should preach the gospel. It goes back to even what he said a little bit earlier, that we preach the word, that we preach the word of God, that we preach the gospel. The scripture does not separate discipleship from evangelism. If you ever go to a place and they say things like, we're an evangelistic church, and that's their excuse for lack of discipleship, Or you'll go to a place and say, we're all about discipleship, but when you begin to ask them about evangelism, that it's not happening. And yet, from the biblical perspective, is that that 
one of those things, they're, they're one in the same, that you can't have one without the other, that, that discipleship and evangelism are, are two sides of the same coin, that they're constantly taking place within the lives of the pastors and the lives of the believers, that brothers, yes, we need to be about the growing and maturing of those sitting in our flock, and yet, brothers, we are also called to preach the gospel. See, preaching and sharing the gospel is, a, is long, hard work. Plowing and, and seeding the gospel over and over and over and over. And sometimes we get to witness the fruit, but, but many times we do not. And yet the calling is to do the work of the evangelist. Brothers, must be found sharing the gospel with those inside and outside of the church. We're constantly bringing people back to Jesus. We're constantly reminding people and ourselves of the joy of our salvation that is, that is found in Jesus. See, brothers, God is not wasting any of our attempts, as, as shady as they may be, as struggling through those words as we may have, that God is not wasting any of our attempts in the sharing of the gospel. May we all be encouraged by that. That if, if God can, can speak, as I heard at a conference one time when I was in college, this, this person got up to speak and, and, and they said this, that if, if God can speak through Balaam's donkey, surely he can speak through you. That you don't have to have a, a chart and, a, and, and all of those things can be great and good. I mean, I've been given tracks since I was a kid. I, I've seen the gospel on a bracelet. I mean, how many of you grew up in vacation Bible school and you got the black little leather bracelet, right? And it had little beads on it. And every time you go to share the gospel, somebody asks you about that bead and, and you, it, you could work through the gospel. I've seen Avenger cubes. I mean, have y'all seen the the... It looks like a Rubik's Cube, but it, it shares the gospel. I've seen the gospel on soccer balls. We've come up with all kinds of cute stuff. Not beating that stuff up. But there is something simple as well and just and knowing a basic understanding of the narrative of Scripture that God is creator, that, that man is broken. And that is illustrated over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. But in the, the brokenness that he is constantly promising that a Messiah would come. That his name is Jesus. That he is God. That he is God in the flesh. That he is the good shepherd. That he is the good pastor. And that, that God in his flesh comes and his name is Jesus. He was born of a virgin. That he lived a perfect sinless life. That he died upon a cross in order to fulfill the promises that were guaranteed in the Old Testament, Jesus came. He paid it on. He, he paid it all. He died the death that you should have died to give you a life that you do not deserve to live. And when it's all said and done, this Jesus is going to come back. And he is going to fix all the brokenness. And 
Charles Spurgeon one time in 1857, I told you a story about him last week, in that same year was going to be preaching at the Crystal Palace. And a few days before that, he goes to this huge auditorium called the, preach, the, the Crystal Palace. And, and, and Charles Spurgeon um, was really big on the preacher's voice. In his pastoral school, they would even measure the chest of young men who were aspiring to be pastors. And if it wasn't big enough, guess what they didn't get to do? Preach. This is before microphones. This is before amplification. And Charles Spurgeon, he, he goes before um, to kind of set up and just kind of get a feel of the room, kind of like what I do on Sunday mornings. I get here really early. I just sit up here and wait for you to come. And I'm just like praying and all those sorts of things. So Spurgeon comes to the Crystal Palace and he, and he stands up and he's trying to figure out the acoustics of the room because Little does he know that 23,000 people are going to show up two days later. And he stands in this big cathedral and he begins to say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he just begins to say that over and over and over. Behold, the Lamb of God who, who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And little be known to him, what was taking place was, was that there was a man, a custodian, someone working in the place, and he was cleaning it. He had no idea what was coming. And as Charles Spurgeon is doing a sound check, saying, Behold, the Lamb of God is taking, uh, the, uh, takes away the sins of the world, that that man dropped all of his equipment and began to plead for the Lord to save him. During a sound check. We must preach the gospel. We must do the work of the evangelist that, that God is not wasting, brothers. Though we uh, often feel like we are wasting away, the gospel is not, and he is not wasting any of our attempts into sharing the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, it says this, For I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, no, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel gospel. This is the hunger. This is the, the pinpoint focus of us as the pastors, is that we are going to preach the gospel, that we cannot get wrapped up in civilian pursuits, but brothers, that we must come back to the, the shepherding care. It's typically done not with our hands, but it is done with our mouths. I was, we were preaching wounded, dead people, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our calling. That is the command. We preach Jesus in him crucified. It is wound up in us. I want to get on your nerves because all I do is talk about Jesus. This is our call. We must share the gospel with religious people because religious people need Jesus. And we must share the gospel with lost people because both religious and lost people are both lost. And we preach to both. Lastly here, he says, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill 
your ministry. So he, he takes all these commands, I think it's around eight or so that we see in these five passages, somewhere around there, and he, he's telling him, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, and it all culminates with this understanding of what are we supposed to do as your pastors? We are to fulfill our ministry. Brother pastors, that, that is what we is, is culminated all into this, is that we fulfill our ministry. We know from Paul and can infer from these passages that no matter who abandons us, we must do the work of the ministry. We must do the work of the ministry. See, what's interesting is that God has called the pastor. God has called the pastors. Unlike most of our friends and family members, they, they get to choose what it is that they want to do. And yet the calling of the pastorate is, is not merely meeting these resume requirements or getting a certain level of education, but rather it is based upon the character of man and ultimately the calling of God placed upon your life. God calls the pastor, the church affirms the calling. And so, brother pastors, if you are here, Pastor Todd, Pastor Justin, future elders and pastors, little boys and hopefully little girls who will grow up to marry those little boys who are pastors, that you would hear and that this would reign forever in our minds, that, that we are called to fulfill the ministry of God, and God is the one who calls those people, and if he is the one who calls those people, then he is faithful to sustain us, to fulfill it. You get to choose what it is that you want to do. But pastoring is a divine appointment. A pastor, because of the gospel swelling up within him, really has no choice. God has summoned him to, to do the work. God is sovereign over who will be saved. And God is sovereignly over who is being called to the pastoral ministry. On the days of ministry that have been the darkest. And I, your pastor, one of your pastors, have often wanted to quit. I've had to come back to passages like this that we see in First and Second Timothy. And, and realize that I am bound to this calling. cannot quit. I must not quit. Brothers, sisters, pastoral ministry is not for wimps, but it is for the weak. Because if anything, ministry often will tell us that we cannot and will not achieve this in our own power. Some will seek pastoral ministry out of ambition. And I always feel sorry for those brothers. Some people will, will often seek ministry ambition. I grew up in a faith tradition that if you lost your job, the quickest way to get one is to say all of a sudden that God had called you to be a pastor. There wasn't any qualifications, there wasn't any kind of looking at these guys and these men to see if they matched the character that we found inside Scripture. You just simply, you lost your job, go be a pastor. And I saw it over and over 
and over and over again. There, there are many men who have made it an idol, and even women who have made it an, an idol to be called and be titled a pastor. And, and yet God is the one who calls and implants the gospel in the, the qualified man. And, and this man cannot contain it. It is like a burning fire that is shut up within his bones, that it is bursting out within him. It is oozing out within him. He must share the gospel. He must make disciples. And it is, it is just oozing within him, whether it's in his vocational work or his pastoral calling, that he is known as being a man with Jesus being ever so on his Lips. He's not waiting to be knighted as pastor before he begins to pursue ministry. But, but no, the, the gospel is continually and ever being unleashing in his mind and heart and mouth. One of the things that we do here at Mission, when a man comes to us and says things like he is aspiring to be a pastor, that he's wrestling through a calling, Is some of the questions that we will often ask is, is this man serving our church as a pastor without the title? That's a very serious question. In no way within our congregation, if we were to present before you someone who was aspiring to be a pastor, for the congregation to go, that dude? That guy? We don't see it. But rather, on the contrary, this faithful man who is seeking to be faithful to God in all things, whether he has the ambition or whether he has the title, whether that's seen as the church, he's not been told that this is pastor so-and-so, but this man is being a faithful husband, he's being a, a faithful singer, a single person, he's being a faithful father, is he being a faithful employee, is he a faithful church minister, uh, member, uh, does he have a relationship with people inside and outside of the church, do people respect? him? Who is he discipling already? Can he preach? What is his motive in the pursuit for this ministry role? Not just that he's a good guy, that he's a buddy, that he wants this title. But rather, is he pastoring before he ever becomes a pastor? And shouldn't that be the desire of all of our hearts? That we're living in such a way of faithful ministry that it could be easily said of us, come and labor with us. I often tell young pastors or people aspiring to be a pastor, if you can do anything else, then please do it. But if you can't, put your hand to the plow and never look back. You know, one of the things that I love about this story of Timothy is how often I can see myself and my pastoral friends in, in this turmoil. And, and maybe you don't get this this morning, and maybe it's been a, a tension for you. But, but what I do want you to understand is, is that later on in your New Testament, there's this book that's called Hebrews. And we're not exactly for sure um, who the author of Hebrews is, though, though many would believe that it is Paul. And what's interesting about that is if you have your Bibles in closing, I promise I'm about to be finished. In the book of Hebrews, 
in the very last chapter, there's a final greeting from the author. You and I probably skip it in our Bible reading plan, just like the genealogy of Jesus and all the begets. And yet, for this purpose, listen to this passage. The last few statements here. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written you to you briefly. You should know that your brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Shortly after Paul writes 2 Timothy, Timothy goes to jail. I'm so glad to know that. I told you a few weeks ago what happened at Timothy's, the end of his life. But I'm glad to see that Timothy was faithful in his midlife as well. That all these things that, that Timothy is wrestling with, brothers, on what to do and how to handle the false teachers and, and all the areas of Scripture that, that people are expecting us to know and yet the Bible doesn't speak clearly to and, and we're wavering. It's like, what do, what do we do here? How do, how do we handle these situations? And, and yet, what do we see that's taking place inside of Timothy's life is that he took the words of First and Second Timothy and he applied them, that he was awakened, that he was no longer maybe timid or cowardly or, or wavering in these issues toward false teaching but he comes back to the centrality of Jesus in so much that he is he is in prison for preaching the gospel and the writer of Hebrews knows this brother and is encouraging the church and the people that are going to read this letter to let them know that man praise be to God Timothy has been released I think it's safe to say brothers and sisters that Timothy fulfilled his ministry. And brother pastors in this room, may we do the same. At all costs. May we do the same. At all costs. May we be found faithful to fulfill the ministry. And all of this, we must come humbly and in a weak posture, a humble posture before the Lord, realizing none of this is possible apart from Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. We fulfill this ministry simply because it's not ours, it's the Lord's. And He's given us the responsibility to steward it. So may we be found stewarding it well and faithfully. For the rest of us, as you've listened this morning, you must come to terms with, one, the seriousness of God's word, the seriousness of, 
of, of ministry, the grace of having faithful pastors in your life, but also the realization that, that it really is all about God. And yet simultaneously asking yourself a very serious question, mission, church. What's your ministry? What's your ministry? I am not going to get psyched up about everything that you do. It's impossible. I can't. All right? We did a... I'm not going to say that. It's a good thing. I don't say that. Thank you, Jesus. Let's make Christianity weird again. Let's stand up. Okay. Before we partake in communion, um, I'm going to ask that, that you join me in prayer. And though I'm going to be praying out loud, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really ask that, that you're praying and that there's a conversation that's taking place between you and the Lord. Where you're, you're pleading with the Lord, asking Him for clarity and empowerment to do the work of the ministry. It is not the responsibility of the pastors to do all the work, it's the community. And is it our work perfect? No. And we've made so many mistakes. And yet I'm thankful for what God has allowed us to do as we've sought to be centered in the calling of the pastorate. And yet I, I, want, I want you to see this. this. This is not, please hear me. Everybody look at this. Guilting people into doing ministry doesn't last. What I want you to see and find joy is, is the invitation of Jesus to say, come play with me. Do you see the difference? Like, like come join. It's like taking your kids to the playground, right? And, and you see all the other kids playing, but you can't get little Johnny to go play. Because you know if he would, what would he find? Joy, relationships, right? They would have fun. And it's like, man, you just you long for that, don't you? It's like, man, you just you just want to see your kid go go play and engage. It's not our ministry, it's God's ministry. And the grace in it all is as infallible as we are, is that He's invited us all to play. And He's called us all to play differently. And when we all play differently, we're not all trying to be Jonathan the singer, right? Or Justin the preacher, right? Or, or Alan Bullard, the, the you know, um, the financial classes and the counseling that he does at, at... Guess what? Hope House doesn't want all of us. Right? Is that fair? <laughs> Hope 
They need some of us. But we can all say, though, that there, there are other things that, that you need to fall in love with that Jesus is saying, come play with me in this area. Does that make sense? You get to come play. Go play. And I want us to become a more playful church where we're hearing about and giving testimony of how God is using you to do X, Y, Z, and how can we equip you to do that even more? Right? So I really want us to pray just that God would help us to be obedient, that we would play, that we would fulfill our ministry, whatever that is. All right? Okay, Lord Jesus, thank you, God, for who you are. Lord, we are thankful that you're a good follower even when we're struggling followers. But you are with us, Lord, that grace that, man, you, I am a wretch of a man. I am a broken man. Lord, I'm just a misfit of a person. And yet you've invited me to play in this way. Lord, you've called all of us at Mission Church, Lord, to play, to fulfill the ministry that you have laid before us. And is there going to be difficult times in that? Yes, Lord. Where there will be times of loneliness. Yes, Lord. Where there will be times where it feels like, man, we're, we're the only one that shows up for Bible study or that we're the only one that shows up for prayer meeting or people aren't taking this serious. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. All of those things are true. And yet, Lord Jesus, you are with us and you have called us to be faithful no matter what. So, Lord, as my brothers and sisters are praying specifically about what calling that you have placed upon them, Lord Jesus, I pray, God, that you would, you would bless them, that you would help them, that you bring clarity to them in that, and that you would help us as the pastors to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's our calling. And yet we can't equip, Lord, what we don't know. So, Lord, bring clarity to our church. Bring precision and accuracy to our church. Bring confirmation to our church of the, the hundreds of ministries that could be birthed forth from this place in order to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. So, Lord Jesus, help us. Help us. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.